Coming up is my interview with Raphael, a contributing author to Travel Noir magazine. He and his fiancée, both expats from America, after a whirlwind two years of traveling and living in various countries, are now on a short break in America, planning their next adventure together abroad. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where we talk to expats about what it's like living abroad, and they tell their stories, whether it's the struggles, the joys, falling in love, raising a family, managing a business in another country, and maybe still searching for that place they will one day call home. This is a place where you can listen, the guest and host will share, and maybe we'll all learn from these stories that we're all connected in what home means to each of us. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Are We Home Yet podcast, a podcast where expats talk about what it's like living abroad. And, you know, along the way, hopefully we inspire future expats to also go out there and try living abroad as well and experience something maybe wonderful. So today I have the pleasure of interviewing Raphael. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Okay, so where do you currently live and how long have you been living there? Uh, currently right now, I'm actually in Atlanta, Georgia, mm-hmm. and I've been here for about a year now. Okay. All right. And so, you know, so you've 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 gone to america so you know what what's it like living there in the city like what's the food the people what's your environment like and then you know obviously we'll talk about what 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 it was like living in in other countries uh so right now atlanta is um you know i i feel i'm originally from new york city so uh-huh. moving to atlanta was kind of uh, it was a culture shock as well, just mm-hmm. like traveling abroad. I actually find it to be a really good balance of city life and suburban life. Just having the best of everything that, you know, I was looking for in a city when I came back from overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, plenty of food options, good people, and just a... a a place to build some sort of future for yourself, you know? Okay. Okay. And, you know, so, so I found you through this uh, article that you wrote for Travel Noir. You wrote this article and I found it very interesting. You had mentioned that you were almost deported from country that you were living in. And I thought, oh my goodness, like, and, and like I told you before, before we started the interview, initially I was like, wait a minute, was he in China? (laughs) Because, you know, like, uh, uh, you have to be uh, very sure about some of the things you do uh, here in China. Uh, But no, you weren't. (laughs) You were in Argentina. I was like, oh, wow, you know, I need to interview him about what, what that experience was like and in general, living abroad. So, you know, like, uh, tell us, like, how many countries have you lived in? We'll start with that. Uh, I would say, like, fully lived in, mm-hmm. may, possibly about four, where you just get indulged and, you know, okay. 
you shop where the people shop, you mm -hmm. live in an Airbnb in an actual neighborhood, not a tourist kind of place. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you live day by day, like as if you were one of them, I would say four countries. Uh, but I've been to about 16 within three years. Wow. Wow. You, so, so you're a writer and, and is that what caused you to go to all of these different countries or, you know, had you just decided that you just wanted to travel and kind of like, uh, just, uh, you weren't necessarily writing as part of going to these countries. Right. So actually the backstory to that is, is my current fiance and I, when yeah. we met, uh, we we had this similar idea that we no longer really wanted to live in America. We wanted to try something like travel abroad. So we did the craziest thing. And, and uh, we, you know, by our second year of dating, we decided that we were going to quit our jobs. Mm -hmm. We had really great careers. I, my career was in uh, corporate events mm -hmm. and hers was in TV production. And uh, we both handed in our letters of resignation February of 2019. By the end of April, I was uh, on a plane to Bangkok, Thailand. Mm -hmm. in, in Bangkok, we just started our lives over. You know, she started teaching like most people do when they go to Asia or Southeast mm -hmm. Asia. And I was doing some more like freelancing work, teaching people music and mm -hmm. uh, also interviewing, interviewing kind of like wealthy Thai students, testing them on their English to see if they would qualify for exchange programs in the U.S. and Canada. You know, it's it's Thailand is such a place where you just connect with people and these things they just fall on our laps like we didn't mm -hmm. really have to do you know much uh to to survive we had a savings and you know we went out there with the savings and we just made it happen okay okay and so thailand was one of the places where you lived like one of four and you know so i had mentioned argentina at the outset due to the article what were the other two places where you've lived in um italy and portugal okay nice nice what's it been like living in each of these places and you know you could start with you know obviously thailand in terms of like the food the environment the people and then you know then obviously we'll segue into you know argentina right uh thailand Man, Thailand was a different place than anything. Uh, it was just different altogether than anything I've ever done. You know, I wouldn't say that it pushed me out of my comfort zone. You know, some things did, some things about it did. It, it was different. I don't know. I just, I loved it there so much. Like, people don't even really realize how great it is to be out there. And you have street food, which is the way of life out there. And it's usually like a little rice dish, something fried, piece of pork or mm -hmm. piece of chicken. Uh, they have a lot of these like kind of soup noodle dishes as well. Mm -hmm. And that's all you're basically eating. But the greatest part of it is like, you, those meals are a dollar and they're already cooked, you know, mm -hmm. and it's two people and you're doing your budgets for the week and you're spending 
$6 on your meals a day. You know, eventually you figure out how to shop like the ties. So now your budget is even lower for food. You start cooking the food that they make. Mm-hmm. Everything is spicy. Everything has uh, some sort of chili pepper in it. Mm-hmm. So imagine just living in a hundred degree plus weather every <laughs> single day. And then you're eating the spiciest food on earth. Yeah. And, um, you know, all of a sudden the, the food portions are much smaller than you're used to in America. Mm-hmm. And you're like shedding weight, you know, like uh, within six months, I think I lost something like 20 pounds. And I was like, even shaped like them. <laughs> I was like a little, you know, like a slender, <laughs> slender six foot guy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from eating their food. But mm-hmm. it was great. Like, I don't think I ever, I never felt sick while I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never felt cold while I was there either. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, the, the lifestyle, it was just great. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for you to get that quality of life uh, for, let's say, I would say maybe the equivalent of $600 a month. Mm-hmm. You could you could live like a, a great upper middle class lifestyle in Bangkok, Thailand. You know, mm-hmm. I had a, yeah, I had a two bedroom apartment with a doorman and swimming pool gym you know all kind of these amenities or whatever mm-hmm. and it was $300 a month mm-hmm. um you know and that's amazing from what I come from in New York City I was in the Bronx and my two-bedroom in the Bronx was $1,600 a month oh, and wow. my, my bills for food was like a thousand dollars a month you know wow. so okay. Yes. Yeah. You know, in in America, it's kind of like you kind of need to have this career to live in a major city. But then in a place like Bangkok, it it was balanced, like whether you were at Best Buy or you were a professional, Mm -hmm. you still had the opportunity to have the same experience as the next person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, it really sounds like, you know, the quality of life was like fall in love with that place. So, so uh, how long again did, did you spend there? I would say it was about eight months I spent there. Okay. And um, okay. And so then from, from there, then, you know, where did you go from there? Well, Within those eight months, the end, we had decided to sightsee a little bit. So Mm -hmm. we did visit the other countries of Southeast Asia, you know, and I don't want to leave out Indonesia because I just loved it there so much. So Mm -hmm. I did a we did a couple of weeks in Indonesia, uh, Bali thing, which is just another beautiful place. But after that, we had went to Europe. Uh, I think I stopped in Greece first. Mm-hmm. And we did maybe a couple weeks in Greece before we uh, spent maybe about a month and a half in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Italy, we we parked in a small town on Sicily called Palermo. Mm-hmm. And Palermo, I'm actually writing, supposed to be writing about it this week, but Palermo is, uh, is a town in Sicily. Um, and it has all the, it has everything that you can think of when it comes to the core Italy. And it's just wrapped up into this little small town. So it's kind of like Italy Express. 
-hmm. but it's beautiful. It's very calm. It has all the amazing architecture. And then it has like its own soul with its own food. Um, you know, it's not just like red sauce and pastas and stuff. It's, you know, it's a little bit of everything. And uh, mm -hmm. it has a very rich history. Uh, it talks about um, when you get there, you you hear about how the, the Muslims uh, influenced the, the area, how Catholicism influenced the area, all the different kings and queens. And, you know, I'm into a lot of the historic stuff uh, when I travel as well. Mm -hmm. But we parked in Palermo and we made that kind of like the home base. And then we ventured out when we wanted to, to all the other cities that we could get to uh, in Italy by train. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And okay. And so then, you know, you're in Italy. Had you hoped to stay longer because you were there for really not such a long time as Thailand. So had you hoped to stay longer or, or were you looking towards your next destination? Yeah, it was, it was definitely about, um, you know, I think the, the purpose or I know the purpose of going through Europe was just mm -hmm. to see if there were other places that we liked. Uh -huh. So that in the long run, when we decided to make another move where we're actually staying for good, what mm -hmm. are the kind of places that we want to consider or what are the mm -hmm. places that we would like to have, you know, vacation homes or properties mm -hmm. one day. Um, mm -hmm. So that was really the mindset for spending time in these places. Mm -hmm. uh, also, when we when we got there, we wanted to just like do the whole Europe thing, travel through Europe or see places that not everyone sees or that aren't really the most popular places, but you still get a real experience as opposed to all these kind of like cookie cutter mm -hmm. uh, touristy attractions, which mm -hmm. is nothing wrong. I'm all about a cookie cutter attraction. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. uh, I got to Rome and I, uh, that was one of my favorites uh, because there was so many bucket list items in Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just so happy to be there, actually. Uh, but would I live there? No, you just I'd rather just go back to New York if I'm a living wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know, you as you travel more, you understand yourself and the things that you like and how a city resonates with your soul. You know, and if if you don't get that feeling, then it's just on to the next. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that after Italy, that's when we ended up in. Porto for about another, I would say, close to two months in Porto, Portugal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and what was that like? Man, Porto, Porto was great. I think the the only reason why like I wasn't totally in love with Italy and I would mm -hmm. say Portugal is because I was there during the winter months, okay. and I had just spent a year basically like in the sun on the beach and like I knew in my heart that I, I didn't want to be a part of anything cold again yeah so then when it was uh when it was time to travel to Europe and it's like midwinter I just got turned off I was just like oh I can't stand the cold anymore mm -hmm. and uh, I'm still like that actually like I, I don't like cold weather mm -hmm. and I think that's it I don't want it to affect my perception of the place so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm hoping to go back when it's warmer but uh, Porto, man, Porto is, Porto is also a beautiful town. Uh, it's, it's, it feels like an American suburb 
with some city-like features. Mm-hmm. And uh, their food is also heavily influenced by, uh, you know, you could say Spain, France, and Italy. It's just like a combination of all three. Um, and you you get out there and everyone is very nice, very genuine. You feel like you're in a small town the whole mm-hmm. time. Like just one of these like, um, you know, it feels like something out of TV where I, you can really feel like everyone knows each other's name and how um, it's a very calm, serene way of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, spent, we spent the time in this town inside of Porto called Matosinos and Matosinos was by the beach. So that was also pretty good. And you can see during the day, uh, people take their families out to the beach, you know, not even during the day, but every day because mm-hmm. they were right in front and um, in travels and in places like that, you you really see how uh, people balance their family and balance their work uh, and, and they make it work, you know, together. Let's take a quick break. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you share, subscribe, download, rate, review the podcast and join our community via Facebook and Instagram by typing in Are We Home Yet Podcast and Twitter by typing in Are We Home Yet Pod, where we share resources, you can interact with our guest, and you have a chance to tell your story as a former, current, or future expat, and of course, be a part of our community. The social media links are also at the bottom of the page on the Are We Home Yet podcast.com website as well. Okay, now back to the show. They don't oh. ever like, in those countries, they're not working too hard or they're not overworking. Mm-hmm. They make time for their family and they make time to be present for their children, you know. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that I learned from places like that, places like Palermo, places like Porto. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it made me, it gave me another perspective on what, uh, what life is supposed to be about. Yeah, uh, yeah. And how we could kind of like lose sight of, you know, the importance of just being present. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so you mentioned the food in uh, where you were in uh, Palermo, but then, you know, like what, what would you say, what was like the cost of living like? Oh, Palermo, man. In Palermo, we had the most beautiful uh, loft apartment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was maybe valued at $500. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was, it looked like something out of a magazine. The host was a world traveler himself and a bachelor. And, um, you know, it had a bedroom. You go up the steps and it had a bedroom uh, there. And then it had one of these, like, uh, these balconies that you would see, like, in movies for mm-hmm. Italy or whatever. And you could wake up in the morning, open the balconies, literally smell the bread coming through the window. <laughs> Yeah, it was like it was very movie-ish there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it was, it's beautiful. Like you're literally living in a building from the 1900s. Funny, funny thing about that actually is my fiance had picked the place on Airbnb 
and we were running around with let's say like a year's worth of luggage you know because we were still pretty green when it came to traveling we weren't the uh like oh we're just gonna carry a book bag and travel the world like nah we had our stuff like we had all our shit with us so that to say you know we get to the airbnb the host comes down and they're like oh we don't have an elevator and this mm-hmm. place is like on the sixth floor of a building built in the 1900s so wow. the staircase is like maybe three feet wide and i'm carrying four of the biggest suitcases <laughs> mm-hmm. you could ever see put like two bodies in each suitcase <laughs> okay. and like, this is imagine just being like jet lagged and you're just want to get into the room so that you could just take a nap for maybe a couple hours before you hit the town mm-hmm. but now there's no elevator so you have to you know go up and down like maybe five or six flights of steps and drag these suitcases uh through these narrow the narrowest steps you can mm-hmm. think of like out of the wonderland kind of thing um but once we made it into the apartment it was like it was worth it all like it was all worth it Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And so then, you know, uh, Puerto, you were there a little bit longer than Palermo. So, you know, what, what was the cost of living like there? Yeah. So in, in Palermo, we actually had someone join us on our travels. We decided to get more of like a, I think we got a three bedroom that time, but only mm-hmm. because of the price and the availability. Mm-hmm. And that, that three bedroom was maybe $600. And we were, uh, 15 minute walk from the beach, mm-hmm. uh, a five minute walk from the supermarket, uh, another five minutes to the other side. And you had like a little restaurant where you could get your food at. And, uh, and then 10 minutes towards the beach was their train station, uh, you know, and you can just take the train into their downtown area. So it was a, a really nice uh, location. Portugal is a cold country. So, you know, the, the sun shines real bright. Uh, the weather's, the weather was really great. Uh, even for winter, mm-hmm. um, I would say, you know, the coldest it got was maybe about 50 degrees. It would feel like, you know, whatever the equivalent of 50 is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a nice place to live. I would say that apartment was maybe about 600, yeah, 600 a month. Mm-hmm. And, uh, same with the food, um, I would say a set of groceries for the week for three people, you know, we made it happen with maybe $20. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for $20 a week, we ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, if we wanted to do it at the apartment, if we wanted to step out and get, grab a bite, I would say like a lunch was like maybe 6 or $7. Um, if you wanted to go a little fancier, a little touristy, uh, lunches creep up into maybe like $13, $15. A bottle of wine is like $2 uh, at the supermarket. You know, fresh bread is $0.50 cents or $1.50. You know, like these kind of these kind of European places, like it, it, was, it, was, it was great. Like you yeah. get, you got all of Europe. And all the little nuances of like France and Italy in this one town of Porto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where did you guys go from there? So from there, we were planning our like,
like South American excursion. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to stop. We had in mind to do, you know, at least six or seven countries uh, mm-hmm. in South America. We got to Argentina, uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina. And uh, it was actually the week of my birthday in COVID decides to like really rear its ugly head uh, mm-hmm. across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as soon as we get there, they tell us that, hey, you guys are going to have to uh, live under quarantine for a couple of weeks. It hasn't been enforced yet, but the president is about to enforce it. So we're like, cool, we got a couple of days to like maybe see Buenos Aires. Uh, we didn't plan like we didn't buy any tickets to move to the next country or anything like that we were basically just gonna live in Argentina and then move around uh as we you know as the weeks went by we were just gonna move around and kind of make Buenos Aires our home base while we visit all these other countries Mm -hmm. um and that got shut down like maybe like by the day three uh, the president announces that he's going to shut down all the airports, shut down all the private businesses. Uh, everyone was required to stay in their house. And the only people allowed outside were the police and the delivery guys for the for the apps, for the food apps. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that was their solution for minimizing the spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, mind you, you know, Buenos Aires gets, they get a ton of tourism from all over the world economy like there's like everyone's out there doing airbnb mm-hmm. so they they always had places available um we were blessed to have a really great airbnb host he uh spoke english he was originally from canada so he was kind of like uh expat himself mm-hmm. and uh, he kind of had an understanding of my perspective on you know how it was going to feel to be under quarantine mm-hmm. in this country that's not yours mm-hmm. and you know, to just order food from an app, from a place where you're like, you haven't even, we didn't even scratch the surface of what the meals were in Argentina. And I don't think we even had, uh, we even really got a chance to, honestly, uh, you know, we ordered some meals here and there, but eventually you just go back into your ways and you're ordering eggs and steak and groceries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're just, you're just making it happen in your apartment for, Man, I would say that quarantine that was only meant to be two weeks, mm-hmm. it pretty much ended up being about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. We weren't allowed to go outside. Um, after a month and a half, they finally lifted some restrictions and they said, okay, you guys can go within a one or two block radius to get all the food and groceries you might need yourself and you know to get some exercise. And during the day, um, I would go out and I would just take advantage of it. And I would mm-hmm. go every single day. I would go outside the supermarket, mm-hmm. even if I didn't need anything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I can speak on the cost of living there are two bedroom there, two bedroom, two bath in what I would consider to be like the Upper East Side of, you know, if any, if anyone there is familiar with New York, there's the Upper East Side and it's supposed to be like a really nice residential area. Mm-hmm. And I was in the equivalent of that in Buenos Aires for $400 a month. Mm-hmm. And we had a balcony that overlooked the street. And it was awesome. It was like an awesome Latin experience. 
bottle of wine is like under a dollar, you know, because they they make their own wine there in Argentina. They're very popular for wine and steak. A piece of fresh steak cut from a butcher is like four dollars, and you're eating that piece between two people. We ate it the whole week, mm-hmm. so for seven days we would, you know, be chewing on fresh steak. Their fish is fresh. The seafood as well, and. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you you didn't break the budget there at all either. Yeah, uh, I would say between Buenos Aires and Thailand, um, there could be a close match for the quality of life based on the American dollar. And mm-hmm. I, I felt like they were pretty close. The only thing about Buenos Aires is you don't have much of the beach experience and like hundred degree weather all year round. Mm-hmm. Their weather was kind of like polar opposite of uh, of America, where their summertime was our wintertime and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But living there, living on lockdown, eventually you just kind of got used to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you you knew the people in the area. They knew you by your face. They say hi. Everyone says hi. Mm-hmm. You ask each other how you're doing. You say, "Yeah, I'm on lockdown. This is not much <laughs> different from yesterday." Yeah. Um, you know, we we binge watched TV shows we always wanted to see. Uh, we had a fire stick with us, so we were pretty much able to keep up with everything that whatever uh, people were watching back in our home in New York, New Jersey. We could watch it on our fire stick and mm-hmm. be up to pace. The other part that I wanted to touch on, and before I forget, the the makeup of Argentina is comes from a lot of Spanish and Italian immigrants mm-hmm. uh, for a period of time. There is a history, though, of Argentina. They did commit a mass genocide of um, all Black people during a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to get quoted on it because... I vaguely remember that kind of history, Mm -hmm. but there is a very dark history of what they did to Black people. It also pertains to how Argentina wanted to be kind of like the superior countries back in the 40s and 50s. For some reason, they wanted to be uh, something like a Germany or like in America where you know, white people ruled and they didn't want to have any kind of black faces around. Uh, So there is a dark history to Argentina, but I do want to make it clear that when I was there, that kind of feeling was not relevant. So like whatever, you know, I know before I went to Buenos Aires, there was a lot of stories of like, oh, they don't like black people there and all that. That's completely not true. Uh, you know, I wanted to make that clear. And if that was a place where, you know, uh, people are considering of living or just seeing it, I definitely recommend you see it for yourself. And, and it's a place where you can make it work because of the proximity to America. Um, you know, my fiance, she really loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can just fly to America from South America easily. It's not really like a 18 to 20 hour flight like Thailand was. Yeah. So, you know, I just wanted to touch on that for anyone that was, you know, listening to this and trying to make a decision on where to live. I think the best thing you can do is to just keep an open mind to all the places that you're considering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I, I agree. It is It is important to keep an open mind because, you know, the information that 
you might have before you go live in a place is very different from maybe the experience that you might have once you get there. You know, I've, I've interviewed people who, you know, are black like myself and lived in China, just like I'm currently living in China and the thoughts that they had before they arrived, just like the thoughts that I had are sometimes not the same or sometimes not in line with the exact experience that you might have. It It's not necessarily like an easy thing to live in China because, you know, like if you obviously if you don't know the language, it's, it's you know, it's <laughs> quite difficult sometimes. Obviously, people do speak English here or else how would I survive here? The experiences right. that you might have in terms of like making friends with locals and dating locals, enjoying local cuisine, it, it might be quite surprising in terms of how um, how how actually really really pleasant it can be so yeah so I, I agree with what you're saying and, and I completely completely understand exactly what you're saying now I, I do want to really go to to the point of the the part of the article that I read where you had wrote about almost being deported and like what what happened I mean that that was very curious when I read that so I was like eager to find out more about that like tell us from the beginning you know and how did you feel and and go from there so yeah so what really happened is is like it was my birthday it was like mm -hmm. my birthday week you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. so like I'm like I'm in this new country mm -hmm. and uh I'm ready to turn it up you know mm -hmm. And you get there and they're telling you about this potential quarantine and I just wasn't embracing it. I, and I, I know a part of me didn't want to embrace it either. Yeah. So, you know, the little time that we had to be out, we, we were able to take full advantage of it and we hung out. We went and got food. We went to mm -hmm. some nice spots. We, we usually plan a full itinerary of stuff, actually. Before we go to another country, we do the research, we write down the things that seem interesting to us. We see how current it is, because that's another thing you always have to check and see if places are still open or if these kind of events are still going on. So you mm -hmm. kind of just double check everything with Instagram and uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so, you know, I get there. I'm all excited about the things that go down. Uh, when we meet our host, he tell he warns me about this potential lockdown, mm -hmm. and I was just like, "All right, well, you know, what I'm saying we'll see what it really is." Or uh, I guess that's that is the American in me is like, mm -hmm. "How far can we push this?" You know, or like, "How much can we get away with?" Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the couple days go by, we're still venturing out into restaurants that are in the area. Uh, I am taking it easy, though. We are just like maybe just going across the street. There is a moment where they announce that the quarantine is going to happen and everyone has to stay home. So uh, I went downstairs, grabbed all the groceries I thought I needed for like a week or two, you know. And uh, I just figured that if I needed anything else, I would just ask my host. Once uh, we get upstairs, maybe by like, day four or five we realized oh we don't have enough for a week you know because we weren't used to just being inside the house and now you're eating a little bit more so it, it the day comes by and I'm just like well there's a store right across the street mm -hmm. uh I know I've been told that I shouldn't go outside but I'm literally like 
I don't want to have to wait for this delivery guy to come because mind you, if the whole neighborhood is ordering from this one delivery app and they're all ordering from the same supermarket, then how soon am I going to get the things that I need? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that could also be uh, the mindset of an American that they want everything now and they want everything fast. Clearly it was. Um, so I was just like, well, look, just tell me what it is that we need. I'll run across the street, you know, and I, I was ready to just deal with the consequences of going outside and mm-hmm. doing it. But the other part to that was, is like, I'm looking out my balcony and I see people outside doing whatever they want to. So I go downstairs, finally, I walk out, I go to cross the street, cross the street is literally like 15 steps. Mm-hmm. I go in. I get all the things I need, some wine, uh, some eggs, I don't know, milk, cold cuts, whatever, run back into the building. I was maybe outside for like five minutes tops. Mm -hmm. I get a text on my WhatsApp from my host. He's like, hey, man, you know, like I told you that, you know, you shouldn't go outside. Doorman, he's ready to call the police. Mm -hmm. He saw that you went out. He caught you on camera opening the door to go outside. Mm -hmm. He literally sends me a screenshot of me on the video cameras mm. unlocking the door because in Argentina, you have to unlock and lock your door because mm. of potential crime. Mm. Um, you know, although they talked about that it, there was a lot of crime there, I didn't really feel it uh, anyway. Mm. But uh, back to the story, in order to, to come in and out, you have to open and lock the door every time you come in and out. Mm-hmm. So they caught me on camera opening and locking the door and I come back in. As soon as I'm inside, they're like, yo, we told you he's going to, he's going to try to get you deported. So meanwhile, the host was on my side, but the doorman wasn't. Mm-hmm. So after I apologized to the host, 15 minutes later, it's like, holy <laughs> see, you know, and I was just like, oh, are you effing kidding me like mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. y'all call the cops anyway so I, I immediately had called uh the host his name was Diego and I was like Diego the cops is here you know and uh he's like oh you know just tell him tell him what happened and you know I'm sure it'll be okay and my host he was actually across the hall so after I'm ex- I'm explaining to the police what you know what happened I was just like look man I really just went to the store because I had to get some food and the apps are taking too long. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to go across the street and get some from Grub. They basically told me like, hey, you know, we understand this is hard for everyone, but like, you really just can't go outside. It was just a conversation. And it didn't get to like rifles being pointed at me or mm-hmm. I wasn't told to like get down on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I know when people read headlines on these websites that it could feel that way, mm-hmm. but no, it wasn't snowfall. It wasn't like any kind of uh, movie you ever seen. It was basically two police officers came upstairs and they were like, you know, hey, what's going on? Like, you know, these are the rules uh, right now. You know what I'm saying? The president said no one can go outside mm-hmm. and you can't go outside. And that's all they did. They basically just, you know, reiterated what I knew, but they told me like the next time it happened, they would have to arrest me. Oh, wow. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned that it didn't escalate. And this is something that we talked about before the interview. There have been too many times to count on one hand, two hands, to like feel and accept 
and and understand why it's happening so many times of incidents in America where, you know, things have escalated when it should have been maybe a simple conversation between like the police and specifically black citizens. And um, so that was something that, that I was curious about, you know, your experience, like, how did you feel like, I mean, were you worried? Were you concerned? Were you, how did you feel? And, and I know like, you know, you had told me that, well, you're Afro-Latino, you know, you can speak fluent Spanish, and so obviously you could communicate on your own to the police about what had happened and, you know, why, why you did what you did, but, you know, uh, still like when they came, I mean, were you worried? Were you concerned? Were, were you afraid? Oh, I mean, of course there was like maybe 15 to 20% concerned that uh-huh. it could go left for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Um, but le- my left in Argentina wasn't like death. It mm-hmm. was worst case scenario. And I had spoke to it, to my fiance about it. I was just like, mm-hmm. you know, if I get arrested, like, this is what we need to do. You know what I'm saying? So if you prepare for these kind of things, wherever you go, you should just mm-hmm. prepare. And it's not yeah. just, not just, uh, I don't want to say that it's only about being black. It can mm-hmm. happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any other country, I just, I do understand that being Black, uh, I do understand that we have a bigger fear mm-hmm. because we've seen it happen to us for so long, mm-hmm. you know, but if you prepare, you know, and, and I hate to even say that too, because who doesn't prepare in America, Yeah. but when you're traveling overseas, you do the best that you can to prepare and to have things in place to make sure that you know where the embassy is, you know who to contact when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. You also need to know what hospitals you should be going to if you get injured or, you know, something were to happen to you. So Mm -hmm. all of these things were researched and we were already well-versed on traveling in different countries and on, and understanding who protects Americans, who, you know, who looks out for Americans when they travel or, what kind of groups are there for expats or just to get out of jams that could potentially happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you, by this time, like we were official world travelers, you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't recommend, you know, someone like this is their first rodeo and you're out there acting a fool, you know, no, I don't recommend that. You always need to read the room, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So and you don't have an understanding of that room until you experience it. And that's what it was. I think the experience that I had traveling, being in different types of countries that already had different kind of governments, I kind of understood like, yeah, things could be strict, mm-hmm. but they're also human, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And they would understand how a human would feel, you mm-hmm. know? And I, I think what's missing from law enforcement in America is that the human aspect is completely gone on how they train their police. I mean, you know, from my understanding, they're trying to do better in in uh, sensitivity training or whatever, but obviously that's not happening fast enough. And, you know, I get it, but I know when I travel into other countries, there's still this idea that, hey, I'm talking to another human being mm-hmm. and we both want to make it to the next day, you know? Yeah. So that that's really how I approach it. I can't, you know, I can't enter 
another country as a black man and you know have the energy as if I was in America and give it to all these like peaceful police officers you know what I'm saying because they wear a uniform I can't judge them based on the guys that wear a uniform here in the United States you know so that's just my my personal mindset I'm not saying that anyone should subscribe to that you know what I'm saying if your thing is fuck the police for life and it's tattooed on your body you know go for it you know what I'm saying but for me I'm just like yo that guy wants to go home I want to go home Mm-hmm. or I want to stay home you know we just gonna figure this out we're gonna have a conversation and you just keep it pleasant there's no reason to just you know turn up because police are there if they're keeping it pleasant you keep it pleasant and mm-hmm. that's just the way you know that's how I think of it yeah so here in China you know when I've spoken with uh lots of black people here you know they they all say the same they they don't have a fear of the police here anyway um so lots of black people they they don't feel um, you know, fear, they, they feel safe here when, whenever they, they have interacted with police, it's more like, like a conversation or like for informational purposes. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I definitely do that. You, you didn't have the idea that like, you know, it could go horribly wrong. I, I definitely understand that. So we just finished part one of a two-part interview with Raphael. Tune in to the next episode for the conclusion. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe. And to stay updated, head over to arewehomeyetpodcast.com. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.